we have an ability to respond to a situation. That is learnt behaviour that we cultivate over time. So sometimes you're going to respond and then after you've responded, your behaviour, and you're going to be like, where did that come from? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? And this is that learnt behaviour and you're working on a default mechanism here. I think it's really important to honour that process and to actually understand that sometimes you're just working based on this default patterning. Welcome to the Happy Nurse Podcast. Nurses are the backbone of healthcare, always there to care for strangers as if they were one of their own, often forsaking special moments with their own family in order to ensure another's loved one is being cared for. As nurses, self-care is essential. I am Elena Mullery, nurse educator and self-care mentor for nurses. I'm an RN with 20 years of clinical experience. I have first-hand experience of stress and burnout. It was this experience which led me to develop a passion for personal development and pursue the study of mindfulness, meditation, hypnotherapy and neuro-linguistic programming. Each episode, I will be promoting self-care strategies to those who always care for others. I have broken self-care down into five aspects mental, emotional, physical, spiritual and indulgence to make it easy to ensure all your self-care needs are being met. Each episode I will interview nurses and self-care gurus from around the world to help you with each aspect of your self-care. Welcome to the Happy Nurse Podcast with Elena Mullery. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Happy Nurse Podcast. Today I am joined by Nerida Mills. Nerida has been working on her understanding of self since she was in her late teens after losing her hair with alopecia. This work has seen her learn from teachers in the areas of energetic healing, natural medicine, quantum physics and meditation. After realising there was a missing piece to her understanding of a constructive reality, Nerida studied the world of human behaviour, NLP, leadership and psychosomatic healing. Nerida is a speaker, facilitator and coach and enjoys guiding people to express their what matters most to them and teaching them how to lead their own life according to that. Welcome Nerida, it's lovely to have you on the show. Super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you. I only recently met you at the um, excellence project I've seen you speak and you're so engaging I just loved listening to you oh thank you yeah <laughs> was it certainly my happy place yeah you're such a natural at it well this is the funny thing about uh, about um when we see people doing something that they've spent hours and hours practicing right and then all of a sudden it's like oh it's so natural because <laughs> you get to see the the effect of all of those hours of screwing up and making mistakes and um, yeah, stumbling along to figure out who we are. So, you know, it's, it's nice to be seen in, in that, but I, I'm very mindful of um, the perception that people can have around this idea of someone being a natural or something or something being easy for somebody else. It's like, well, no, these things that we cultivate in ourselves can appear to be natural or can appear to be easy to the outside world, but it's something that we've had to spend time and energy cultivating. So yeah, it's available to everybody in that way. 
Yeah, totally. And it's also realizing that it's okay to make mistakes. We're all human. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's an inevitable part. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've been there with you. I've done a heap of training to be able to get to this point too, but it's worth it in the end, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll jump into the questions. As you know, I'm the founder of Happy Nurse. I promote self-care strategies to nurses and healthcare workers. Love it. As a part of this, I encourage nurses, healthcare workers to have a non-negotiable in their self-care. What would be your non-negotiable? Um, so my non-negotiable is a little bit different to a lot of people's. Mine is to follow my own intuition and to follow my own guidance. Um, I found over the years self-care has been something that I've had focus on for a really long time. Um, when I first got alopecia, there wasn't a lot that they could tell me about it um, outside of the fact that we don't really know what causes it, but we think maybe stress has something to do with it. So since that time, I have been mindful of making sure that my stress levels are relatively well managed and that my self-care is at the forefront of what I do. And so I've kind of, I've gone through um, being dogmatic around my self-care of being like, it has to be done this way. And if I don't, if I don't sit down and do my meditation every day, then I'm failing at my self-care. And if I don't, you know, do whatever um, skincare routine that I'm failing at that and, um, (laughs) What I found is that that pressure often is basically adding more stress rather than taking away any stress in my self-care routine. So now it's really more about um, acknowledging that what I need for myself changes on a daily basis. And I have a, um, a personality trait where I have a, a high need for variety. So it's important for me to change those things up. And so for me, it's about following what is right for me in a given day or any given moment and honoring that and not, not needing to fit into somebody else's box of what it means to do self-care or what it means to be spiritual or what it means to be effective or what it means to be a leader. Like it's all got to be about where my soul is driving me and where my desires are driving me in that moment. Yeah, that's beautiful. I'm a bit like you as well. I always encourage everyone with their self-care to offer themselves the same compassion that they so freely give to their patients because Absolutely. some days you just don't feel like doing some of it and that's okay. It's, um, it's well, some days self-care is about giving yourself a break and just like chilling out or resting or sleeping in or, you know, like we met at the Human Excellence Project. So that's you get up early in the morning, you go dip in the ocean and it's invigorating and it's amazing and it gives you so much. But sometimes you just need to sleep in. And it's like if we have this idea that if I don't show up for the dip or if I don't show up for whatever it is, you know, insert your thing here, then then I'm not doing enough for myself. But like you say, if you can bring that level of compassion and be like, well, actually, I just really need to honour my need for rest right now. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I've learned that the hard way too, trying to just push on, push on. I must do my meditation. I must say my affirmations. And then I realized, Elena, no, just do what makes you happy today and yeah. enjoy the downtime if you need the downtime. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Cool. This yeah. leads beautifully on to, I've created a model of self-care that breaks it down into five different aspects just to give us an idea of what self-care means because there's this misconception out there that it is all meditation or going to the spa or Mm. sitting in a bubble bath. 
So I've broken it down into the mental, emotional, physical, spiritual and indulgent parts of our self-care. So what to you would be indulgent self-care? So I have three children. (laughs) This is probably the first segue into this. And uh, I've been raising them by myself for, goodness, nearly seven years now. And so within that, like my time is very precious. And so most of my self-care comes in very small little segments, um, 10 minutes here or 10 minutes there. So for me, in the indulgent element of self-care really comes when I can spend larger chunks of time into that, which generally happens when my kids are either preoccupied or not around. <laughs> so that you know, that is when I bring in those more stereotypical elements of self-care probably, like that, you know, having a hot bath by myself that's uninterrupted, which is such a rarity. So I feel quite indulgent when I do do those things. Um, But, you know, also there's a level of like self-pleasure that comes into that for me as well. Like that's more of that indulgent, like making myself feel sexy and, um, and really loving and honouring my body and, and everything that it can do. Um, but you know, that's, it's more the stuff that I can do, um, personally by myself without interruption based on the situation that I'm in at the moment, my current life, you know? So, um, yeah, for me, that definitely rings true to that indulgent. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I'm also raising two boys on my own, so I totally hear you. It's those micro moments that you can get to just breathe and yeah get present and re kind of focus and ground yourself again so absolutely and it brings that like exhale to the soul yeah massive even if it's just walking around the car at the petrol station before you get back in again (laughs) (laughs) a little bit of peace and quiet that's so nice (laughs) yeah if you enjoy meditating or you would like to give meditation a try why not head on over to happynurse.com.au forward slash meditation to download my free guided meditation for stress and anxiety relief. It's 12 minutes of pure self-care. Who or what inspires you to be the best version of yourself? I know this is a hot subject of yours because you do a lot of this work with your Yeah, and um, it's really interesting because I remember doing a project when I was a kid at school and they asked, you know, who is your inspiration? And even back then, I put my mum down as my inspiration. Everyone else was like, you know, Michael Jordan and Michelle Pfeiffer and like, you know, all the top 80s kind of whatever. And um, yeah, but I was, I've always been inspired by the people who are closest to me. And um, when I was a kid, it was because I really admired my mum and I admired how much she cared for other people. She's, um, yeah, she's always been a carer of other people. And, um, but more recently, it's more for me about having an ability to show up for the people that I care for the deepest in a way that is in alignment with my intention of how I want to show up. So often um, what I found for myself and, and what I've learned through human behavior is that Generally, when we're in a moment of what we'll call emotional trigger, which can be brought on by stress or emotional trauma or, 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 you know, somebody, quote unquote, pissing you off or pushing your buttons or whatever, when we're in those moments, we default back into the patterns of childhood. Right? So we literally become our childhood self in the way that we're then expressing our anger or frustration or hurt. And so for me, um, becoming who who I want to be is so much about being able to hold myself true in those moments 
So, and it takes work um, around moving through the past traumas, the past hurts and healing those parts of ourselves and seeing it from, you know, bringing our adult selves into our childhood reactionary state. So having an ability to do that so that when I'm meeting people that I love in those spaces, I can meet them in a way that I'm proud of and I can meet them in a way that expresses my love. And that's vital for me. That's so beautiful. I've never heard it put like that before. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, because I always encourage nurses to turn up to work as the best versions of themselves because if we're being the best versions of ourselves, we can offer better care to the patients. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I'm a a big believer that, um, you know, the life that you want and the difference that you make in this life starts at home. And so, you know, bringing it back, it's like, I suppose this a little bit comes from having a mum that's such a, a, a carer, you know, and so I've seen her um, often give and give and give and give and give. She comes home really frustrated and then, you know, we take our frustrations out on the people who are closest to us because they're the safest, right? And it's not an intentional thing, but that's what happens. And so um, I know that I've, I'm loved. I know that my mum cares deeply for me. That's, that's not an issue for me. But um, the reflection for me was that, you know, moving forward in my life, I wanted to, A, make sure that home was the most peaceful place, which I don't always get right. I have a pseudo personality. I call her the Banshee. And she comes out sometimes when I haven't been looking after myself enough or if there's just too much going on. And that's my default. You know, that's the one that I try and protect people from. I love Um, it. (laughs) She's so funny. She's a little bit scary sometimes. But, you know, it's just about kind of coming back to that space of, yes, honouring who we are and trying to um, bring our authentic self and who we want to be to the people in our closest relationships. But like you say, like if, if you're a, if you're a nurse or you're in that care, caregiving role, being able to show up and hold space for somebody who's in their trauma, who's in their trigger, who's in their fear and they're reactionary and they're behaving potentially much like a child, you know? And so to be able to hold your own and to be able to hold that space in a, in a, in an adult brain <laughs> and with an open heart, it, it takes a lot of work and like I take my hat off to people in that in that position because I know that you must get hit with a lot of people who are very reactionary. So it takes a lot to be able to hold that space within yourself and not take it personally and not take it on um, and to still give them the care and the love that they need. That's really interesting. You've just spoke about holding space. I have just written a, bro- a blog article on exactly that about how it's so important as nurses that we are able to hold that space for our patients because they are stressed. They're the most vulnerable they can be in their lives, really. They come into this place that they don't know. They're removed from their loved ones. They're put into this crazy-looking outfit. They're in this bed. Like, they're so completely vulnerable. And they're putting all their faith into us, the healthcare staff. Yeah. And that's when anxiety shows up and anxiety can manifest as anger. So, yep. you know, it's, yeah, I speak about oh, absolutely. I had a, um, an experience, I know you know a little bit about this, but um, had an experience earlier this year, my body shut down on me. And um, as part of that, uh, my spatial awareness went, I had very significant dizzy spells. I was unable to walk effectively. Um, extremely nauseous. Um, part of my brain was thinking, oh, my God, have I had a stroke? You know, like it was that level of uncertainty and unwavering. And to, you know, I'm, I'm quite used to 
been what I would like. I like to hold space as somebody who has strength and centeredness in their system. And so to feel that um, wavering um, when I was met uh, by the by the nurses and the doctors at the hospital, you know, the thing that made the difference to me was the person who stayed with me just for that extra 30 seconds and made sure that I felt like I was heard. Yeah. There was nothing that they could do for me, but just to feel like I've been heard and I've been seen and that they understand what I'm going through and the uncertainty that I've, that I've been experiencing made such a big difference. Yeah, because that must have been so frightening for you. Yeah, it was a little bit terrifying. <laughs> I was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing you when you were going through that and, yeah, you looked like you were um, having a really tough time. Yeah, definitely. Glad to see you're on the mend again. Me too. <laughs> Very grateful for that. But it's like, you know, no matter no matter what kind of identity we have constructed, uh, at some point in our life we're all humbled by by our mortality and by this physical form that we have that doesn't always work the way that we would like it to, you know, and that's certainly been the journey that I've been through in the last couple of months and it's, it is very interesting to see the, the reactionary parts of ourselves that come up for that and, and what does make the difference. And like you say, having people that have been able to hold space for me, to be able to hold space for my victim, you know, feeling like a victim and it's not fair, like what the hell is going on with, with this? Like it doesn't make any sense. I've done all the right things. Like, you know, all of these stories playing out and having people just hold space for that to unfold without trying to make me feel like I'm stupid or that I'm wrong or that I'm not where I'm supposed to be in my life is has been has made such a big difference that's awesome I'm glad you've had a positive experience in your scared experience if that makes sense yeah (laughs) yeah I'm very lucky I'm surrounded by amazing people yeah you certainly are yes um what expertise would you offer to the nurses and healthcare workers out there listening to us. I know you've just summed up beautifully about holding space, but is there anything else you would like to share with us? Mm. For me, like when I, because I do work with people with the psychosomatic work, when I do that, um, often people, their traumas will literally come up while while they're on the table. Um, And so whilst I'm not dealing with behavioural reactionary trauma, I do deal with a lot of physical expression of trauma, so like body shakes, um, hot, cold sweats, um, people verbalising like anger or um, sadness, a lot of tears and stuff like that. And So one of the things that I find really, really useful is to um, see the person in front of me as someone that I care deeply about. So I often find that um, all people kind of reflect elements of ourselves, right? So you can often in somebody else see your brother, your mother, your sister, your son, your daughter, you know, your auntie, your long lost grandma. I don't know. There's, there's often you can recognize elements of people that you care about in that person. So for me, it really helps to hold them in a place of reverence like I would that person. Yeah. And to care for them at that level. Um, and it also allows me to kind of take that step back and recognise that their trauma is not about me. Yeah. My, role, my role in this is making sure that whilst they're in their trauma, they feel supported and loved. 
because that's that's basically all you can really do for someone in their trauma. I mean, obviously you guys have the extra toolkit of being able to physically help someone mend something <laughs> and to help them discover what that what that could be in the moment. Um, but if you can move in with a um, an energetic and an emotional and and mental um, focus of holding space for someone that you love, um, then I, I feel like it's really well received in that way. Yeah, that holding space is so important. And yeah, as I said, I just wrote a blog post about it because mm. it's not something I've ever kind of thought of in my nursing career. I've thought about it in my coaching. Yeah. But I read something at the weekend and I just thought, actually, I do this every single day as a nurse when I'm at the hospital. And Absolutely. I don't think we realise it's just something that's innate in us that we do. But it is about recognizing when our triggers are being triggered by the patient and absolutely not reacting to them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, you know, I for me, I find that my life is my best personal development workshop. I've done a lot of personal development, spent tens of thousands of dollars on my personal development, and the the most powerful lessons that I've gained has been from opening myself up to the deeper the deeper thing that's playing out in the triggers that happen in my everyday. So if I'm triggered by a client, if I'm triggered by my kids, if I'm triggered by my family members, if I'm triggered by Joe Bloggs walking down the street and they look at me funny, whatever it is, right, to actually be able to use that as something that I, I harness that and I use that as a personal development tool. So it's like, oh, okay, well, what actually, what actually is it about them that's triggering me? Because it's not the person, right? Yeah. The person's not grabbing their hand, shoving it in my gut and twisting my stomach inside out. That's not happening. So the trigger lies within me. So what is it about them that's, that's triggering something within me that is being brought up in this moment because I'm capable of healing it right now? And yeah. so, you know, it might not be able to be processed like that in the moment, especially if you're in a busy emergency ward or something like that, but certainly something to potentially take home and to process and to sit with. Um, you can either sit with that question in meditation or journal about it and ex just explore it a little bit more. Like what was it about that person? And I think it's important to be kind to yourself in, in your trigger. If you have been reactionary as well, like if you haven't been able to hold that to actually be kind with yourself in that, because we're all learning, we're all growing. So, um, you know, it's, that's okay as well. Just every time we do it, I think it gets a little bit easier. Yeah, it's showing ourselves that self-compassion and that self-forgiveness and allowing ourselves that forgiveness. Yeah, and I think when you look at actually where does the trigger come from within you, it's, it is easier to give yourself that self-compassion because you can see that, well, that's come from my own trauma. Yeah. You know, and so, and that's, that's okay. And now I get to parent myself through my trauma. Yeah, totally. I always um, speak about how you can only control how you're reacting. You can't control how someone else is acting towards you. So if you can be mindful in that moment and take a, a breath and just think about how you're going to respond before you actually respond, it can diffuse the situation very quickly rather than as often as possible. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing. There's actually um, uh, one of the coolest things that I ever learned was that when we receive information, the information is actually received from our heart first. So our heart responds to external stimulants first, and then the mind responds to the heart's response. So the mind makes up a story in relation to how the heart has responded, but the mind's response actually happens after the situation has happened. 
right? So the heart responds, the situation happens, and the mind makes up a story about it. And so they can actually uh, predict how you're going to respond about something up to about 10 or 15 minutes in advance these days without you even knowing what the stimulus is going to be based on the way that your brain works. Wow. Which is all really super cool information, right? So the, the fun part of all of this is like, yes, we have an ability to respond to a situation. That is learnt behaviour that we cultivate over time. Yeah. So sometimes you're going to respond and then after you've responded your behavior and you're going to be like, what on, where did that come from? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? I don't understand why I would react in that way. Right. And this is that learnt behavior and you're working on a default mechanism here. And so I think it's really important to honor that process and to actually understand that sometimes you're just working based on this default patterning. But how do you influence that is that you rewire that absolute base, uh, the base of your subconscious mind and how you have constructed your idea of reality and your belief system around who you are. Because if you can change at that level, then your default behavioural response is going to be more in line with who you want to be. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Which is a really creative way of saying it, but... It's very cool. (laughs) Yeah. I've studied NLP as well. All this stuff really fascinates me. Yeah. It's super interesting. I love it so much. It's so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. It's that that question of, you know, what comes first, the egg or the chicken, often. (laughs) Yes, very true. So, and with the mind and our behaviour, you know, it's the same kind of conundrum. What comes first, the story or the behaviour or the belief or the behaviour? And so they, they do this intermittent dance between one another and they feed off one another. So, you know, I think it's important to influence where you can and be kind to yourself when, when it didn't work out the way that you wanted it to. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been so lovely speaking to you. You're very welcome. Where can people find you? Um, Facebook's probably the easiest. I am on Instagram as well, but I do a lot more on Facebook. Um, so just Nerida Mills on Facebook is pretty much me. Everything kind of feeds through from that. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. That's right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Happiness Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's content and would like to join the Happiness community, head over to Facebook and check out the Happiness AU Facebook page and request to join the Happiness community. Also, check out happiness.com.au for access to free downloads and subscription to my blog. See you soon. And in the meantime, remember to always offer yourself the same compassion that you so freely give to others.